Hey everyone, it's Ashley. And it's Mark. Welcome to Conversations in Courage. Each week we will talk about a range of topics, from race to our school systems, to the state of our nation, to fear, and of course to courage. Everything that lights us up and pisses us off. Absolutely. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome to our home. We are so excited to get started. You know, you may hear the dishwasher running or the cats meowing, but we wouldn't have it any other way. Let's get going. Mm-hmm. Soul Cycle, part two. There needs to be like a drum riff or something <laughs> here. So Mark was like, um, Mark just said to me that you know, he's like, you can't just go to, you can't just decide you're going to New York. So fine. Just for anyone who's curious, you have to audition. Then you have to go to callback and then you have to wait a stupid amount of time while they decide how they're going to put your group together. And then you may or may not get an offer to come into training. And then you have to move to New York with no money and no support and nothing. And then you have to train, like, officially four to five hours, Monday through Friday. And then you have all these, like, writing assignments and homework and stuff that you have to do um, outside of that. And basically, it's like... I think that's the thing that was most surreal to me as I learned it. I mean, like, for me, being in fitness for as long as I have been and been to a ton of classes, been in martial arts, for all intents and purposes, like the conversation we, we just had... If you wanted to, you know, work for Orange Theory, you can make a decision to work for Orange Theory. And and I know that there's going to be some nuance where if you're just not an instructor, you're not going to make it. But the process by which you have to, like, go through. It was fucking expensive and it was long. And and stressful. And, you know, you're waiting for, you're kind of, it feels like you're waiting for people to tell you whether or not you're good enough. Which was interesting because I was in an acting program, right? And it felt really similar to that. It's like you have to fit into this mold. And it may not be that you're actually indeed not good enough. It may be like you're not good enough at this time. Maybe we have, you know, your type in that market already. And we need, right, someone someone else. So... Who knows why, Um, but yeah, so that's that. Okay. That's that part of the journey. Well, thank you for that. Mark. Yes, Let's talk about your first time seeing me up on the podium. Let's just like skip the first part of me working. God. Um, And let's just, let's just go to that. Let's do that. Um, yeah, you know, the, the surreal thing for me, especially in hindsight is, um, you know, I was already a writer. I had taken a a fair number of classes and, um, you know, one of my staple instructors, um, was not teaching a particular class and you happened to be substituting. Why don't you just say, okay, because people are going to know. So I was subbing for Aaron Lindsay. Yes. You were an Aaron rider. I was definitely an Aaron rider. Um, and you know, as time went on, I was basically, it was, it was 
Aaron at the beginning of the week and you at the end of the week, right? That was kind of my soul routine. Yeah. And, um, you know, in this particular day, um, showed up, Aaron wasn't there, you subbed, you subbed the class. And, um, you know, the thing that immediately struck me about you, um, especially because I knew that you were a new instructor, right? I mean, I remember walking in and they had this huge sign that said like, welcome Ashley, <laughs> right? They're so extra. Yeah. And, um, you know, the fact that from go, you had such a command of that room, your energy was inescapable um, for anyone in that room. And, you know, even coming out of that room, some of the other riders that I rode with a lot, um, we had a dialogue about you and, and what an incredible experience that was. Aww. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, so that moment, um, seeing you on the podium, feeling the energy, watching your command and your expertise and your performative nature, right, was clearly on stage, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, you had something that um, I had never seen before. No disrespect to any other instructor that I've ever taken. I mean, obviously, I had a lot of respect for Erin. That's why I kept going back to her. But uh, you were clearly different. Um, so, yeah, that was my, my first time. And the thing that made me sad is you weren't on that schedule. I mean, Chestnut... For all intents and purposes, to your point, it wasn't close to where I worked, but it was closer than any other place I could get to. <laughs> exactly. Right, And I couldn't, where I was in my work schedule, I couldn't rationalize, you know, traveling into the city and back. I, I couldn't make it work. Yeah. So, um, you know, at that point in time, it was just something that, um, you know, I'm like, I've got to, I've got to obviously find my way back into one of her classes. But, um, you know, that was kind of a moment in time until Dedham opened. Yeah. It's interesting because, so I, I definitely thought that SoulCycle was going to take me out of New England. So at this point, by the point where I, where in the story where I'm meeting Mark, I'm about a month in, maybe two months in, Dedham isn't opened yet. But it's understood that I was going to teach at Dedham and I was going to be one of the sort of like founding instructors at Dedham. Um, and by this time, I was I like I was just coming out of Barry's training. So I come out of Soul Cycle training, go right into Barry's training and then sort of start teaching in like May or June. And I th I thought that SoulCycle was going to be my ticket out of New England. Like, let me be very clear. I had no fucking intention of living here any longer than grad school. And, you know, SoulCycle has the capability to send you anywhere in the country. And I was like, great. I'm either going to go back home to Philly because they're going to be opening up Philly or I'm going to go to LA or something like that. Like, I was just like, I'm not going to Boston. There's no way. And then Barry's. And then I really wanted to work for Barry's for Brian and Dustin. And I really resonated with the team and everything. And I was like, fuck, I guess I'm going to stay here for a little bit longer. <laughs> and then I'm going to leave. <laughs> and then I'm going to leave. Um, and so like, it was, it was interesting to 
have these have these two worlds starting to mesh together because I was receiving separate feedback from both in that soul cycle always felt um if we were going to put this in terms of like a relationship soul cycle always felt like like the husband that was cheating on you that you could never catch but you just knew it like you just knew something was wrong by the way that wasn't that was not my marriage i don't know why i used that as an example but like it resonated with me um so like it, something was just not right and i couldn't i couldn't put my finger on it and i i would go back and forth between blaming them and blaming myself and Barry's, on the other hand, it it was completely different because I always had, um, first of all, coworkers that were actually interested and nice and willing to help, which was not the case at SoulCycle. There were a couple people who were super amazing and, and helpful and sweet, and and then there were a lot of people who could give like two fucks whether I was alive or dead and probably still feel that way. Um, but SoulCycle, uh, but Barry's, you know, Brian and Dustin were definitely always giving feedback. Dirk was always giving feedback. You kind of never felt like you were alone. And you you never felt like anyone was hiding anything from you. You never felt like you were misunderstanding your job role, what your opportunities were, what the expectations were. It was by no means easy but I understood the, the container in which I was working in. In SoulCycle, it was, it was like high school, right? Like it was kind of like you never kind of really understood what your feedback was, you know, why, why your schedule was the way it was, why your pay was the way it was, how far down the line a promotion was, what you needed to hit to get that promotion, where they're always just like a lot of like catty girls kind of like pulling strings behind the scenes and you never knew who was talking about you, who wasn't. And it was just like, yeah, you know, and then to be, you know, one of the only black girls, it's interesting how, you know, Vic didn't work out there. Christelle didn't work out there and I didn't work out there. Right. How do you have, Three black women, all in the Boston area. And, you know, if you talk to any one of us, and I don't want to speak for the other women, but being black in Boston is a very, very uncomfortable experience. Being black in Boston soul cycle is a very, very uncomfortable experience. And there was not a lot of care paid um, to the fact that there was a lack of diversity. And... To the fact that there was not a lot of team cohesion and the fact that the company in and of itself didn't really have uh, any kind of like concrete, uh, what am I talking about? Like language or like practice around actual diversity and inclusion. The thing is is that you work so hard to get the fucking job and you're new and you just shut up and you just work and you hope that with more seniority 
things are going to get better, right? That things will stop feeling so sinister and so secretive. And it's just like, you know, am I being hazed because I'm new, right? Or, or is this actual racism, right? Like, or unconscious biases in play? Or do people just not fucking like me? Or like, right? That it was just, it was so much dissonance. It, which is for me. Which is really interesting, right? Because when you think about soul, you think about this organization that prioritized inclusivity and, you know Inclusivity by their terms. That's exactly what I mean. By right? their terms. I mean, on in in a vacuum, if all you did was pay attention to the marketing and to the buzz and how people talk about it, right? The the environment was something that a could capture an experience unlike any other and b was a super inclusive right environment until to your point um you're on the inside and what you get to see is that the the values that they actually run their business against is feels different than the values that they put up in the public right 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 I did not think that as an instructor, I would, I would feel the same kind of outsider vibe that I felt as a rider. I think that's fair. And I, it was, it was really disappointing. And, and that's part of, that's part of why, you know, people like you were so, just so important to my, my joy Right, people like Betsy, people like Kim Jones, Beth. Like, there's a ton of people that I could name who really kept me going. Like, I don't think you guys know that your faces and your energy and your hugs and your woos and all the things like kept me there longer than I wanted to be there. Right, right. I, you know, and that's that's the other thing. Not to completely, you know, take a right turn, but. You know, one of the most amazing things for me is coming into the room and seeing you on the podium, you exude like courage and strength and I don't give a shit about anything, right? Yet you are also one of the most vulnerable people I've ever met, right? And to see that encased in one package is amazing. But again, it talks to you know, how sometimes we allow ourselves to, you know, draw perceptions mm-hmm. off of only kind of one thing. Instagram is an example of that. Yeah. That room is an example of that. Right. And I think in the moment, the thing that I watched happen, especially alongside your other riders, is the more energy you gave, the more energy we were allowed to put out. Right. I am not somebody who normally would woo <laughs> in a class, right? I'm no. not, I'm just not. But yeah. in that space, it felt like I had permission to like be more of who I was and let like my joy and, and what I was feeling come out because you created that space, right. right? Which was, yeah, which was really special and unique. And I know it's shared by, you know, so many of the other riders that rode with you. And the thing that does make me sad is as a company to not recognize how important not the formula is Mm -hmm. not the soul cycle logo but the the instructors how much they 
absolutely make a difference. Yeah. That was never seen. Right. At least for me. Right. I mean, and it, and that's where it kind of goes back to like a high school vibe. It was like, you know, certain people are taken care of for whatever reason and certain people just are not. And, and I've, and I've heard this from various, various people of various backgrounds. So this isn't like, you know, I'm just like here, like ragging on it. Obviously I, I loved it. Obviously I have incredible friendships and you and, and, and the experience coming out of it. But I cannot deny the fact that it was, it was an awful fucking year. Yeah. Period. Um, and like, I remember, you know, reaching out to another instructor and, and who, you know, I thought was my friend and, and them being like, listen, um, nobody is after you. Okay. Like nobody, like you need to let that go. Like no, nobody's coming after you. Nobody dislikes you and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it's, it's funny because one, I, I remember seeing, um, mistakenly just like from being in the office, I remember seeing like an email chain between a manager and corporate about me. And then also having another manager slip up and say something that sort of like caught her in a a lie. Um, so I had, I had actual proof with my own eyes and ears that like, for some reason I was just not working out in this market, in this company. And it hurt my feelings a lot. And it's interesting how like the same person who was like, no one's coming after you. Like they came for them. Right. right? And then we had this whole conversation of like, wow, this place is actually fucked up. But, um, I, I think that a huge lesson in this experience was about self worth and, and that no company is going to give you your self worth, right? No company is, is going to teach you who you are, right? You're by, by, by me staying as long as I did. And by me saying yes, when I should have said no. And by me being quiet, when I should have stood up, I was continuously reinforcing how they should treat me. So isn't that a proxy for relationships? Isn't that a proxy for our culture? Isn't that a proxy for everything? And I, I think the other thing for me is, you know, the importance of really trusting your gut and your instincts, right? Just in listening to you explain this, it was clear early on something wasn't right. Something didn't feel right. You no. couldn't put your finger on it, but something no. didn't feel right, which typically means it's the gift of fear, right? Yeah. It, yeah. it typically means something is not right if that's your feeling. And you can rationalize it and say, well, maybe I need to work less hours or, you know, it must be me. Or, exactly. Until, exactly. Until you recognize it's not. And by then, you have right. no choice. Right. Yeah. And But also to, to say that, if it is you, then that's okay. It's also okay for 100%. you to say, oh, this is me and I don't, I don't belong here. I don't perform well here. I don't, whatever. That's totally fine. You should also listen to them. 
you should also listen to that voice because in my experience rarely does that gift of fear or that bad feeling or that foreboding feeling in my gut mean that I'm not working hard enough or not showing up usually that feeling isn't connected to something that I'm not doing it's connected to to someone outside that has more power than I do that's fair that has always been true and I am someone who shows up but my fear has always has always been about something outside of me versus versus within or something that I need to change yeah, I mean, I, and, I, and obviously, I've witnessed that. I mean, I think, um, I think you're a really good judge of yourself, and I think you have you're tuned into where your strengths are, mm-hmm. and also where your you know challenges or quote unquote weaknesses would be. Right. Yeah. So I think you do that better than almost anyone I've ever met in my life. Oh, um, but, but I think. That is that is part of it. We just we spend so much of our life feeling things and looking at things and knowing that this isn't right and not being able to take the ego out of the equation and just look at it for what it is and say, This is on me right. and all this other shit is not me. But yet we still have this tendency to turn it back around. But it's also right the you look back at the journey and you're like, I've spent all this time and I've spent all this money and I've fought with my husband and I Right. And I've told everyone that this is what I want to do. And, you know, I've just like chased and chased and chased. And now I don't want to admit that it's not working and that I don't know why. Yeah. Right. Like, how do you like, how do I look at Matt and say, like, people are mean to me and I don't want to be here anymore. Right. Right. Like, which should be enough. Right. But that's also not our culture. Yeah. It's not like. You know, I mean, well, it's like the kid, you know, it's the kid who, you know, knows they're not a doctor, knows they're not a lawyer, feels compelled, right, to kind of follow, right, the dream because, you because know, their parents because their parents are like, good, like, good in math or they, whatever it is, right, they, they follow this, this path because it feels right. You get so far down, you're like, well, I can't quit now. I can't quit now. Everyone's counting on me. Everyone, like, what will people say? You know, the, the whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. But I remember, I remember so clearly that day where you had called me and you're like, you know, Mark, I'm done. Yeah. It went, it went pretty quick. It went from I'm here and I'm going to try and I think this might be me to the next step was I'm going to, you know, reduce my hours mm-hmm. to the next step was no, I, I now recognize it has nothing to do with hours. It has nothing to do with me. I just can't do this. Right. I'm done. Right. And, and to watch kind of that level of decisiveness, um, was I think a, you know, a, a signal of kind of part of what brought us here and, and part of what is a seed to the courage campaign, which is totally. how, how do you show up and how can you demonstrate a level of resilience even when it means admitting that something you thought was so right and so real and represented a dream just isn't going to work. That right. has got to be just really, really tough, but also um, you know, an example of I think how we all need to show up sometimes. Yeah, I think so. It's hard, but it's worth it in the name of authenticity, which is something that I obviously value above 
many other things. That is for sure. Should we pause here I, I, and then finish this finish this talk? I think that would be a great point. Mark said I ended the last one too abruptly because I said bye. So we should, bye. See you like see, what are you? See, see you later. the next episode. <laughs> bye.